Hi, and welcome to the West Visaya Audio Podcast. These messages are designed to help you grow and inspire you to take action. Please take a second to hit the subscribe button and don't be shy to send us a message when you have questions. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this conversation on the life of Jesus. Good evening. Thanks for tuning in to our online Bible study of the book of Matthew. I'm here with Nick Westberg and Curtis Pittman, as we have been for the last several months, but we've been enjoying the study of the book of Matthew. We hope that you have too. Uh, we've enjoyed the comments from those that, you know on the broadcast and also our Zoom discussion on Wednesday night. And I have definitely grown through this study. I've learned more about the book of Matthew in this discussion with you guys than I've ever learned in the book of Matthew. So I hope, hope all of us are growing together as we look at this. But to kind of summarize up where we're at, um, Nick, why don't you set the stage for us a little bit and kind of let our audience know where we're at in Matthew and kind of the, the direction of this great book right now. So the whole last chapter of, that we studied is all about the, the value of a soul and what do you do when a soul is lost? What do you do when uh, a soul sins? Mm-hmm. What do you do um, in circumstances that require you as a family member to go out and reach these people? And so the whole last chapter deals with this idea of what do we do to reach people who are who are family, who are brethren, to go uh, to come back into the fold, I, you know, if we're talking about the church, if we're talking about, you know, the the synagogue, if we're talking about, you know, the Israelite nation, what happens if somebody strays from the Israelite nation? What happens if somebody strays from the church? So what happens if someone strays from the flock? Exactly. Says, yeah. So when we come into chapter nineteen, I think in some sense we're still talking about the same type of okay. idea, but again, we're back with the Pharisees who are. Challenging Jesus. Challenging Jesus. We're all, we're coming toward the end of yeah. Jesus' earthly ministry sure. too. You know, he he is um, well. First off, in chapter nineteen, verse one, it begins with he departed Galilee, yeah. and we're seeing this road toward Jerusalem, kind yeah. of to the crucifixion, and and the book is coming to this culmination as we look at it. But along the way, there's these great teaching moments as Jesus continues to reiterate yeah. that he's the Messiah, that we should care about others, and that he's going to suffer. And these last ones are some of the best ones. Well, they're all best. Yeah, I don't no, have a preference. Saying, they're some on. of the best ones in the book because that's what I've been you studying lately. <laughs> you said he had one that didn't good? say some good things. What? Never mind. Curtis, do you have anything else we need, to, we need to bring up before we continue into the book tonight? No, but it, it, it's it's been it's been a while. To like Nick was talking about, where the Pharisees came up and directly challenged him. Yeah. Um, and, and we see that their um, attacks get more and more aggressive, uh, and we're going to see a pretty blatant challenge tonight. Uh, but it's interesting to see how Jesus responds. Uh, this one and then the one uh, coming up, um, I think it's at the end of the chapter, or maybe into chapter 20, 20 on John the Baptist as well. But uh, I think there's some interesting Oh, for sure. Well, let's get into the text then. Verse, uh, chapter 19 of Matthew, if you're tuning in, in verse 1, it says, when Jesus had finished these words, so his words about the unjust slave and all that, when Jesus had finished these words, he departed from Galilee and came into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Just like many sections in Matthew write, we have these healing sections. Jesus healed, healed everybody. So Jesus is going along his ministry. People are following him, and he's healing them. But now we're reintroduced to our old buddies, the Pharisees, in verse 3. It's been a while since we've heard from them, right? And the Pharisees are coming up to Jesus, and they are testing him, it says. And that seems to be all they like to do with Jesus. And it's, it's not an honest question. They're testing him. And the question is... Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? So I guess the question is, why is that a test? How is that question designed to test Jesus? Well, in the law, they were given a certain 
set of commandments, which I'm, we'll get into in a minute. Uh -huh. But if he answers it according to, is he going to answer according to his own opinion or according to the law or according to the tradition of the Pharisees? Yeah. Because there's a lot of different schools so, of thought about divorce yeah. as there is today. Right. And it's a controversial question. It was yeah. back then. So they're going to test him. How's he going to do? Is he going to elevate this rabbi, this rabbi, this tradition, the Old Testament, or himself? Right. Yeah. So the last two times they've come to him, the, one of them they hit him with, uh, you know, why do you break the tradition of the elders, right? And then the other one they hit him with, I think it was in chapter 15 was, or, or chapter 12, was why do your disciples not wash their hands before they yeah. eat? So now we're seeing a different question. Now let's talk about something that's directly personal, not related to tradition or law of, of, of the Jews, but something that's directly affecting the individual. Yeah, yeah. and it's a hot-button issue, mm -hmm. and it, yeah. I imagine as the crowds are gathered around Jesus, he just healed people. There's people still there. They ask this question, everybody goes, the divorce question. And even today, I mean, in a Bible class, someone goes, what about divorce? Everybody perks up, even the people sleep, and all of a sudden they wake up and want to know what we're talking about. So... It's a heavy question. Do you have a comment, Curtis? No, it, well, just to, to kind of set the, the stage to reiterate that the Pharisees, I mean, Matthew records that they came up for the purpose of testing him, but it's kind of like, uh, it, it, it's the, 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 the sole purpose is to damage Jesus' credibility. Absolutely. Because, I mean, they're intimidated as the crowds that are following him. Yeah. And so they're coming out of a direct attack. And it's interesting um, to, to mirror the way that Pharisees act when they want to get a one-up on a person. Right. Versus when they have genuine knowledge seeking. Um, and I'm going to jump out of Matthew, but, but if you look at how John records Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus. Nicodemus mm -hmm. was a Pharisee, yep. and he came to him at night. And so it showed that he was not trying to make a public spectacle of Jesus. He was coming of genuine concern, genuine interest. And, and the fact that, that they were coming, uh, sorry, the fact that they were coming here uh, in front of the crowds was to, to purely show Jesus that, that you don't have it. Yeah, so when they're with their buddies, it's the show off and the test. Yeah. When they actually come by themselves, they might actually be truth-seeking. Right. Yeah. I was just going to say, and then we see the end result of, you know, we see that Nicodemus, when he was asking Jesus' question, was really genuine because at the end of the book, we see him with Joseph of Arimathea, right, bearing the body of Jesus. Why would he do that? Because he believes. So, yeah. Well, let's keep going then. So the Pharisees ask, is it lawful for one to divorce his wife for any reason at all? So, and that is a clarifier when you think about it. He said, any reason at all. And he answered, Jesus answers and says, Have you not read that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female? For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So now there's a lot here, and I think we're going to need to deal with a couple different things before we even deal with the divorce question, but... Jesus' answer takes them all the way back to Genesis, to the beginning. Yeah, the purpose of mankind, God created them in the beginning. And that's important, especially when you're dealing with law keepers like the Pharisees. Because if he can prove something to them prior to the law, it'll have a greater impact. Yeah. You can't argue that it's an interpretation of the law. It's before Moses. Yeah. And Paul will do this too. You know, Romans way off topic too. But, you know, he argues back way back even before then. Here's a foundational principle. Abraham believed. Yeah. Right. So in the beginning, God made them male and female, which by the way, bookmark this, unlike this in the discussion of homosexuality or what is marriage supposed to be. I think this shows us right here. God made male and females and a man shall leave his father and mother two husband and wife come together, become one flesh. But the foundational principle is that a man and woman get married and verse six, they're no longer two different individuals. They act as one Therefore, God joins them together, 
Don't separate. And I think to, to maybe just take half a step back. Yeah. The, the way that the Pharisees ask the question is oftentimes the way we ask the question today. And if you look at what the, the sole purpose of it is, what is in it for me? Yeah. Right? It, it's, um, is it lawful for, to divorce one's wife for any cause? My, my, my marriage is so trivial that I will just pass it away. I, I'm getting nothing out of it. The only reason that you're here is to serve me and my needs. Uh, and if you're not doing that to, to my desire, then I'm just going to pass on to the next. Instead of asking, can, they're asking, can I do this? Jesus goes, why would you want to? Yeah, and that's what, yeah. You, you are one flesh. You're, you're, you're removing oneself from it. Uh, and, and it just shows that, that they get marriage completely wrong. <laughs> yeah. The whole concept of marriage. And, and I'm, I'm going to get on my soapbox here momentarily. Um, but we often do that with mm-hmm. our relationship with Jesus too. We will oftentimes come to Jesus and ask, what, are, what is in it for me? Mm. And then if I'm not satisfied with what I perceive I'm getting, I'll just leave Jesus. Uh, and, and marriage is so much more than that. Our walk with Jesus is so much more than that. And, and the Pharisees, I think, missed the entire point. Uh, and and it, they, it's, I'm reading into it, but uh, assumed that they had a shallow, loveless marriage as yeah. a result. And I think you bring up a good point because if we have, people ask all these questions about divorce, marriage, divorce, remarriage, all those questions, and we shouldn't even have to get to that point where we ask those questions. We should value marriage in both parties. And I know there's different circumstances, but if we care enough about the marriage relationship and the commitment that we're making, the divorce thought doesn't cross our mind. It's, no, you work on the marriage. You do what you got to do to make it happen. You know, my kids hear about divorces and things like that. And periodically, they might ask a question, what if you and mom got a divorce? And I go, well, we won't. And I go, well, what if you did? We've never thought about that because we don't ever plan on doing that. You know what I mean? It is so foreign to that thinking in a healthy relationship to think, how do I break it off? How do I end it? When two become one, you don't go, how can I divide? You don't do that. Very good point. Um, So they ask this question, and Jesus' foundational principle is God's joined them together. I like how he says it. What, therefore, God has joined together. Marriage is something that's based in heaven, okay? It's greater than an earthly institution. What God has joined together, let no man separate. I think that's Jesus is purposely making that distinction. Yeah. That you as a man are trying to separate something that God did not intend to You're trying to make your own rules and laws so that you can have what you want to have. Yeah. I, I love that Jesus draws back on the, the original, you know, concept of, you know, man was created, woman was created for man. Yeah. That's the way that it's supposed to be. There's a partnership. And now you're there. saying that, you know, it's just something different, completely, completely different. What God made right? wasn't good enough. Well, well God said, yeah. and, and, you know, we, we do that not just with marriages, too. We do that with a lot of other things, mm-hmm. you know what's right, what's wrong, you know, if I can get something better, well, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to leave that other thing, whatever it is, you know, job, you name it. It's Absolutely. just part of no. culture. Yeah. And, yeah. So, so they, Jesus lays it out for them and says that only God should be the one to separate a marriage and God's not going to. So, um, verse 7. And, and it's, uh, sorry, one last point before we, we move on. It's really interesting how Jesus is laying out this point because he, he's, telling them that, have you not read? You do not understand yeah. the scripture. You do not understand what God's desire was because have you read this? Had you read this, mm-hmm. you would see that God's plan, God's original plan does not, the, the question of divorce is not in God's original plan. No, it's it come down to the question of do you respect what God has instituted? Yeah. You know, 
And if you value his institution. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Well, then they ask him a question, a follow-up question. Maybe thinking again they can trap him. Mm -hmm. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Now, I bookmarked that in my Bible because that is a quotation uh, somewhat from Deuteronomy chapter 24. And I want to read this and then we'll talk about it. But Deuteronomy 24 verse 1, it says, When a man takes his wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. She leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife. And if the latter husband turns against her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away is not allowed to take her again to be his wife since she has been defiled for it's an abomination. And he goes on here about it. But there is a precedent in the Old Testament for if you are getting a divorce to provide certification of some kind for it, maybe a legal document, you know, that kind of idea. The question is, now Jesus, why did Moses command it? Now Jesus says in verse 8, because of the hardness of their heart, but let's think about the practical side of this. Why would God have, if he wants marriage to be forever, have allowed divorce to happen and set up a legal clause in there for it? This may not be the answer you're looking for. It might not be. But, but I think it shows God's willingness to listen to the requests of his people. I mean, if you look at God's intention for the nation of Israel, it was never intended to have a king, yet God acquiesced to that request uh, and, and allowed a king to be over Israel. And so I think that God, while it's not his intentional plan, he, he again acquiesces to those, the requests that his people make. Don't know if I agree with you on that I one. told you. But, I didn't think that would be the answer. But here's what I think, okay? And I think it based upon a biblical conclusion. I'm coming to in verse 8 here. Oh, but, so my conclusion is not biblical. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but um, never are. You, have, you had people back then, and there's various schools of thought, different rabbis like Hillel, Shammai, and a bunch of rabbis that argued about divorce. But anyway, I think what was happening is there was people that were divorcing their wives. They were just leaving them, and you're kind of leaving them high and dry. Okay, so especially in a culture like that back then, if a woman is not married or has a man taking care of her, she's not taken care of. So if they were to just leave their wife and divorce them, and that woman's kind of floating out here, if there's not proof that she was actually divorced, they might think, well, she's a, a polygamist or, a, or, or you know, kind of a, a loose woman who's out there trying to find another man, an adulterer or adulteress. So what, Jesus, what God, I think, did was, is, okay, you guys are losers and are getting divorced like you shouldn't be. But I need to make sure at least there's a legal protection in here for somebody so that both parties aren't taken advantage of. Um, so, I mean, and they could a man could have just ran off. He shouldn't have. But let's say a man leaves his wife. Now, what if she's still technically married to that guy? She can't go marry someone else. Or have, so what does she do? So I believe the document, the certification, was legal protection for her. You know, uh, people have asked me before, even in our modern sense, like, well, what, is it, what if a person just decides they're, they're going to go live their own life separately? I think you probably should talk to the attorneys and judges and get some things lined up to protect yourself, okay? That kind of idea. Verse 8 of Matthew 19, he said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses permitted you to divorce. So the divorce was permitted because of their hardness of their heart, but from the beginning it was not to be this way. So since it was permitted, like you were saying, you know, um, for them to get divorced. I was answering your next question. Yes, your next question. <laughs> he permitted the divorce because 
They're blowing it anyway, so they kind of let that go. But even though he let that go, he wanted to make sure the wife, I think specifically, was not being taken advantage of and abused in the situation financially or whatever it might be. And he's not just talking about he's not just talking about the Pharisees that are asking the question. He's talking about the whole Israelite nation for the last however many yeah. years they've been around since the law. It was because of the hardness of your heart. Now, I would I would say that we would you know, we we could even you know take this back and and circle around that question that Matthew's trying to answer. Why are the religious leaders rejecting Jesus? Hardness of yeah. heart. Yeah, right? and why would you hardness want to divorce your spouse? Right. Usually, I mean, let's right. I mean, obviously you're trying to display righteousness, yeah. right, the true righteousness of God. Wouldn't you want to do what a God originally intended for yeah. man to do? You'd want to make that marriage work the best way you could. Right. Yeah. So, so when a marriage ends, one or both people have a hard heart. That's right. why. Right. I mean, it, it, that's it. I mean, you can't say that. Well, no, both people have godly love toward one another and are treating each other like Jesus would have us treat people. No. Look, so I wonder both have a hard heart. I don't know all the circumstances, but when I look at this, I, I think to myself, you know, like my parents raised me. They said, you know, when you get married, you get married one time. That's yeah. it. Just doesn't matter. So when I married Cheyenne, there was no thought in my mind to ever, you know, there was no concept of divorce in my mind. If I do this, this is one time, that's it. That's all I'm doing. Because what I heard over and over and over again. And I thought, you know what, that's the right thing to do. I don't want to be starting a life and restarting it and starting a life and restarting it. And who wants to do that? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think anybody who gets divorced really wants to get divorced to begin with. You no know one, no one ever got married no with a plan would, to get no divorced. One, yeah, no one yeah. would choose that. At least they shouldn't, yeah. They shouldn't. But. So he says, from because of the hardness of your heart, he permitted, which I underlined the two different words there because... They really seems to me like the Pharisees in verse 7 emphasized the command and Jesus said it was a permission kind of thing a little right. bit too. I think it doesn't mark um, have a different word. I need to go back and look at it. Well, if you find it. I will. All I, should, right. I should have just looked before I said something. That's all right. That was probably a very insightful point. Um, verse 9 then. Jesus builds on this. And I like the phraseology here. And I say to you. What does that remind us of? When did he do that before? Uh the anger, the lust, the yeah. way that it goes back to that heart. That Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it been said, but I say to you. You've heard it been said, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, but I say to you, turn the other cheek. That idea. Jesus, I mean, at least to me, that my exegesis spidey sense tingles when I see that because it, it's kind of a, it reminds me of that, that conversation he's yep. had before in his sermon. And he's mm -hmm. asserting that position of authority. Yeah. Oh, that yeah, good point. Mm -hmm. So Jesus is that authority figure here too. I say to you. So the foundational principle is don't get divorced, and if it happens because of hardness of your heart, that's why. What? My goosebumps just pricked up because what did you, what did God say the transfiguration when Moses and Elijah disappeared? Mm, yeah. This is my son. So listen, listen to, to him. him. Yeah. Right. I say to you. Yeah. Listen the, to him. This is the key right here. Right. Don't listen to what the rabbis have been saying. Don't listen to what your Pharisaical buddies have been saying. Don't listen to what the culture and community is saying. Listen to Jesus. He says, "I say to you." Whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. That's what Jesus says. Here's the, another foundational principle for you, and it's even stricter than, well, it, it goes back to the garden principle of one man, one woman for life. He goes, look, do not get divorced. That's his principle. And he says, and if you divorce your wife or husband, I think it goes both ways. He's talking male here. He's talking to the Pharisees. And it usually was, I think from what I'm seeing, culture was man divorced a woman, that kind of mm -hmm. idea. He says, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman 
You're an adulterer. Quit trying to make an excuse for yourself. And that's kind of what they're doing. Well, no, I gave her a certificate of divorce. I'm good. No, you just wanted to go sleep with someone else. That's kind of what he's saying. Is uh, Don't act like, oh, no, Moses told me, and I'm following the Mosaic Law, so I did a legal divorce, and therefore I can go marry someone else. Why do you view marriage that way, is he saying? Well, there's evidence to show, too, that these Pharisees were just, or, or in that culture, if a woman looked at her husband wrong. They were divorcing. If she yeah, you burned dinner burned or something, dinner, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was it was very medial things. It wasn't like you know she went and slept with somebody else, or she did this, or she did that. You know, it was very medial. Oh, I don't like the way she yeah. looked at me. I didn't like the way she cooked my dinner. So wrong. Jesus goes, "No, I'm going to show you how strict right. it is. Right. This is how serious you need to take like, marriage. If you want to replicate the righteousness of God. That's yeah, how you do it. Right. You, you, that's the covenant we have. The yeah. marriage covenant." Is supposed to stand. Right. And Jesus says here, and I know I hate that we always jump to the exception clause because we're very pharisaical on this right. too. We're looking for a way out. and But there is an exception clause here, but the exception clause is rooted in how God has a relationship with his people even. Yeah. You know, he has a relationship with his children and God's going to be our God and, and care for us and we're going to have a relationship with him and he'll continue to forgive us until we go off and serve another God. And, and that's what, just Remove the exception clause and, yeah. and just read it. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. Yeah. Plain and simple. Yeah. So, and we get That's... tangled up in that exception clause. Uh, but this is, and we're going to see it in the next verse, this is a simple teaching. Yes. This is simple. It is cut and dry, black and yeah. white. Value marriage. And if you don't, that's wrong. And they didn't. They didn't, when they asked this question, they didn't, when they asked Moses this question, it goes back to that hardness of heart. Every marriage is dissolved with a hardness of heart. Yeah. Either I don't love you anymore, or I love myself that I'm going to go seek sexual gratification with someone who's not my spouse. Yeah. And so then let's talk about this, the terminology exception clause here or something, which it sounds very legalistic when you look at it that way, and I don't like sounds doing like fancy. Yeah, but Jesus says here, except for immorality. Now, that's a, a Greek word, porneia. It's the word fornication or I, what, another version might say lasciviousness or, or something like that. It, it means to go out and cheat. It, that's what it's talking it's about. It's a physical yeah. act of sex with someone who's yeah. not your spouse. Yeah, that's what it is. So you find out your husband or wife is cheating on you and you can't fix that situation. There is no repentance and counseling, whatever it was. If you chose a divorce then and marry another, you, that seems to ex exempt you from this guilt of adultery. Besides that, you're not viewing marriage highly. And I think God, I think it shows how much God values marriage and covenants. God made a covenant with Israel, and when they would go out and worship an idol, he called it adultery. Yeah, same idea. And that's when God said, I'm done. I won't be with you anymore. And we can kind of see that in a physical marriage too, that... There's a lot of sins and problems in a marriage that can be overcome. Adultery can too, um, but that's a hard one, and I think that's why he placed that in there. And it also shows they only gave him one. They wanted every exception. I want to get to be able to give a certificate of divorce whenever I want. Jesus goes, I'll give you one. Adultery. Besides that, shut your mouth and take care of your marriage. That's kind of what he's saying here. And I hate that uh, people ask me to be a divorce detective. I'll tell you, it's more conversations than I can count. <laughs> People have come to me with these convoluted situations. Well, what if the first wife was married and divorced for this and that? We're thinking like a Pharisee. We can't be like that. We need to think like Jesus would have us to think where we value marriage and try to make it work because we believe in that covenant because God said one man, one woman for life. That's how we view it. Did you have a thought on that? No. 
Um, I'm I am disagreeing with you. Okay, well, thank you. <laughs> I will tell the audience that I'm going to be doing a sermon um, in the middle of November as we deal with the topic of divorce. We're going to talk about some topics you're not supposed to talk about, you know, like premarital sex, and uh, we're going to talk about divorce, we're going to talk about abortion, we're going to talk about homosexuality. So we'll, we'll dig into this a little bit more, but keep this way we're looking at this passage right here. I'll tell you, you know, spoiler alert, I'm going to approach the sermon the same way. Value marriage and don't try to get out I'm of it. reveal what that sermon series is this week sometime. I'll post it. Uh, well, no, see, they, we were going to reveal it on oh, Sunday. No, see, no on but see, Sunday? they're watching this on Sunday it. night, Nick. Remember, we're, so. we're going to reveal it Yes. Don't wait for a sermon series to study this. Yeah. Because not only point. not only this section, but I am responsible for all of Jesus' teaching. Yeah. I'm responsible for how I study it, for how I teach sure. it, for how I live it. Uh, and, and it would be unfair of me to sit back and wait until the middle of November for you to present how you have come to your yeah. conclusions without coming to mine. And then it'd also be unfair of me to not test your conclusions against sure. scripture Boom. this is a cut and dry teaching sure. we allow our emotions to muddy the water mm. my personal preference we allow the hardness of our hearts to dirty this situation mm -hmm. when jesus says it's cut and dry Absolutely. the disciples understand that it was cut and dry the way that they react to it i know i've mentioned that a couple yeah, we're going to talk about it right now but the disciples understood this as a simple teaching we understand it we need to understand it as a simple teaching and, and we convolute it to twist it to our personal preferences. And, and I, I, very, I get very emotional. Get, I have very strong feelings uh, about marriage because I think that we, again, we look at it very selfishly. And, right. and, and there's, a reason, there's a reason that the church is the bride of Christ. Yeah. And if we look at our wife the, a way that the Pharisees looked at theirs, that is the way that we are, are saying that Jesus looks at us. Yeah. That with, with, we're looking at Jesus. They didn't view their wife the way Jesus views no. the church. Very good point. The disciples, like you said, verse 10, understood how cut and dry this was. And their reaction is kind of juvenile. But the disciples said to him, if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. You know where I've heard that same argument before? Is in the teen class with a bunch of like hormone charged 13 year olds or something like that. Like, well, if that means I can't just be, if I gotta be with one lady for life, it's better not get married or something like that. That, that. They're saying they, because of maybe the background of the Pharisees and the way they're, the people of that time were viewing marriage, I think they said, well, that's too difficult then, Jesus. I mean, if we gotta be so dialed in that we gotta work on our marriage and we can't just leave and find somebody else when we get annoyed, it's not worth it. That's all they knew. It is. That's all they knew. That was the only teaching they knew. Yeah. So, so their perspective is, well, we can't do this because this is all we know. Then it's better for us just not to do it. Well, you know what? Over 50% of marriages in our own country end in divorce. My parents were divorced, and there's a lot of people growing up thinking this way. And that's why you see so many people cohabitating now. They're like, marriage isn't worth it. And they're missing the whole point. But the disciples, I think, they saw how strict Jesus' command was, and they're like, well, you mean I can't just bail on marriage when I get annoyed? Jesus, they're like, well, I'm just not going to marry then. Did you have a different way of looking at it? No, I, I was trying to, to think on how to articulate um, if such is the case, because if we look at the, the way that Jesus, his response started in verse 11, I think we're, we see the case. I think the case goes with the, um, the specific to the divorce, uh, and it's going to be tied into that marry another woman. Uh, it's the concept of adultery. Yeah. Uh, and when the way that I understand it 
is that in cases outside of adultery, so non-adulterous divorces, uh, those people, the, the man and the woman, are still married. And if you have sexual relations with someone else, then that is that adultery that comes in. And I think that that was something that the disciples were struggling yeah. to grab. And I think they didn't like that because they wanted to be able to marry someone else. And Jesus says, no, you need to value that first covenant. And you need to not be seeking to go marry someone. Because if you do, you know what? It's just like you're still cheating on your wife, that kind of thing. Or you are cheating on your wife. It's adultery. That's the terminology he uses. All right. And then we see, you know, throughout history, there's a difference in, in the way that marriage is shaped through the lens of Christianity rather than through secularism or Judaism. Yeah. Right? That marriage and Christianity is valued rather than rather than unvalued as opposed to like, okay, how do Romans look at marriage? Yeah. How did, oh, how yeah, did yeah. Jews look at marriage? What's the difference between Romans and Jews and how they looked at marriage? And then what Jesus is teaching on it fundamentally changes the concept of the church's view of and marriage. And statistically, churchgoers, shared beliefs, Christians have stronger marriages. Yeah, because um, yeah, we view yeah, marriage differently. Um, we should. We should. So verse 11. So, well, first off, the disciples' statement is, well, it's better to not get married because maybe they just don't want to deal with the responsibility. It's kind of the way I look at it, which that's not a way of looking at it. That's a very superficial way of looking at marriage. Mm-hmm. Marriage is wonderful. Marriage has made my life better, and it's helped me get to heaven. You know what I mean? Because I have you know, my wife. But not everybody has to marry, of course. But verse 10, they said, it's better to not get married. Jesus said to them, not all men can accept this statement, but to whom it has been given. I believe the statement is, it's better not to marry. He agrees. Yeah, Jesus says, I agree with you. But not everybody's going to do that. And in fact, most of the disciples didn't marry. The Apostle Paul would later say the same thing, that it's better right now for him to not marry, you know, because of their situation. It's not wrong to remain single and celibate for life. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it can be a higher religious calling in some sense if you're going to devote yourself to mission work or be in a place where you can't support your family because of ministry, I mean, all that kind of thing. Yeah, Paul, I mean, he acknowledges that I'm not distracted by my yeah. personal family. I'm all in for Jesus. And, and when you are married, you do have the family responsibility. It's a lot harder to be halfway stoned to death and shipwrecked when you have a wife at home, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So he says, not everybody can accept this statement, but to whom it has been given. I also think, too, that one of the reasons why divorce is such a hot-button issue, homosexuality, abortion, and all those have to do with that people value sexual fulfillment too much in the sense that our life is about fulfilling certain fleshly desires. And if I can't fulfill the desires I have, that's not life worth living, whether it be a homosexual desire, whether it be a desire for another woman when I'm married, whether it be any of that kind of stuff. They want to just have... Sexual relations without consequence. The problem is our society yeah. says that you can find your identity in your sexuality. Yes. Which is totally... And Jesus says, you know what, totally you can wrong. choose to just ignore that yeah, altogether. Sexuality is a part of humanity. It is not all of humanity. No, it's not and the I end all of our existence. people get it mixed up that there's, there's you know, people think that, you know, you know, humans are just skin deep. Well, there's more, there's more to us than... Then we look. We understand more. We're smart. And we're smart. You mm-hmm. know, people. We're not idiots. We. I mean, respectively speaking. <laughs> but <laughs> to some extent, I mean, you know, if if we understand who God is and we acknowledge Him and we understand that He's the Creator of the universe, you know, then then. 
that is the deepened part of humanity opposed to humanity just like, well, I'm born, I live, I die. Yeah. You know? Therefore, yeah. I must fulfill yeah. my sexual desires. Yeah. Jesus yeah. says you don't have to. There's some right. people that they will choose not to, and that's good, but not everybody's going to do that. But right. verse 12, then he, he explains what he means. Yeah, his, his, the context continues. Yes. Mm -hmm. This is still in the context of the disciples' question about marriage, which related to his teaching about divorce. Verse 12. For there are eunuchs, and a eunuch was someone who was castrated usually to, like, the queen's servant in Acts chapter 8. Mm -hmm. it, it's really cool. Uh, I mean, so I've been flirting with Greek, right? Uh, and just using Bible Hub and, like, the free... And the word you looked up was eunuch? I looked up eunuch. <laughs> um, but, but, but it's so cool. Yeah. Because, and if you're going to see, we're going to see the three ways that Jesus used it. It literally means alone in bed. Hmm. And so a eunuch means alone in bed. And most of the time we often think because... The castration thing and all that. Yes. Yeah. Mine, but, mine says a castrated male person. But I mean, but it was used, <laughs> it was used culturally as someone who's like celibate. That's, yes. Someone and, who's and, not and, have and a sexual that relationship. Is the main reason why yeah. people were made eunuchs is so that they were unable to physically have sexual relations with women. So let's, let's use that terminology like that. For there are those in bed alone or those that are celibate who are born that way from their mother's womb. There's some people for whatever... Birth defect or something will never have that relationship. They will they, never they, get married. Yeah, they will never get married. They'll never have that sexual relationship. Okay? There are eunuchs who were made that way by men, like the sterilization kind of thing. And there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept him, let him accept, accept this. The idea is there's some people, because they understand there's something greater in life than this world, the kingdom of heaven, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness choose to remain celibate for the betterment of the kingdom. And if you're able to accept that, accept it. I think this can relate to this section in two ways. First off, the easy one is there's some that say, I'm never going to get married. I'm just going to be a eunuch for the kingdom. I'm going to choose to be single for life and serve Jesus. That's one. Yep. But number two, I also think it probably relates back to verse nine. That there's some, because of maybe divorce, choose to never get married to remain single and glorify God in their singleness, which, I mean, that's a terminology you hear about nowadays, but there's nothing wrong with being single. I think sometimes as a church and Christianity as a whole, we, I don't want to say we elevate marriage too high because marriage is wonderful, but we push this expectation that you're supposed to get married. There's something wrong with you if you're not married. You can glorify God in amazing ways while being single for life is what he says here too. And if you're able to accept him, let him, let, accept this, let him Except it, he says. I think it's interesting, too, that, you know, it never says that the, the Pharisees stopped listening or that the disciples were pulled to the side. Yeah. The, the disciples are saying this in front of Jesus, in front of the Pharisees, and Jesus is responding in front of the Pharisees. So wh when he says this, the Pharisees are within hearing distance of, of what Jesus is saying. Some do it for the sake of the kingdom. It's a stab at the Pharisees. You know, if, if you're, I mean, that would kind of just be like of shock value. You know, where you go, well, some do it for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. It's like, whoa, well, what do I, what about what me? What do I do? I, I teach for the sake well, you for the of the kingdom You just do things for the hardness of your oh, heart. You do, yeah. you do it because you want to do it, because it's your choice, because you want to be king and ruler of your life instead of allowing God to be that for yeah. you. Yeah, Who, whose kingdom are you part of? Exactly. Your own personal kingdom or God's exactly. kingdom? Exactly. Very good. Well, we'll stop and there in verse just, 12, but what do you want to conclude I, with this? I, I want to hit this hard. Because I think the Pharisees' main focus was their own sexual gratification. Yes. Mm -hmm. yep. Oftentimes, our main focus is our own sexual gratification. Yep. Paul even acknowledges that in 1 Corinthians. Uh, um, but but we, we see with this context here, 
these three things. There's those who are eunuchs, those who are alone in bed, uh, and I think it's a direct tie to, to sex. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that this reiterates the place for sexual union is in the marriage bed. Mm -hmm. uh, and we have some people that from they're born a certain way to where they will never have sex, mm -hmm. uh, i.e. they will be eunuchs. There are some people who have been made that way by men, either physically or in the case of a divorce, where they have acknowledged that, you know what, I am out of no control of my own, uh, I'm not going to do this. And then others for the sake of the kingdom, and I know I might be blurring those lines on that. No, but, but I, I agree For the sake of the kingdom, my, and this could be uh, the, the quote-unquote guilty party um, and in a, in a case of adultery. Where that person uh, had uh, a sin, yeah. has recovered from that sin, repented from that sin, but acknowledges that the kingdom is so precious that I am not going to put sexual gratification on this earth ahead of Jesus. There's a higher level of existence here, and that right. is serving Jesus. And not that is why I'm a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom. I agree, absolutely. I, I think this eunuch conversation here, and I don't want to get us off too much out of context of the divorce question, but I think this also relates sometimes to our discussion today of gender identity, transgenderism, gender dysphoria, and all that kind of stuff too, yeah. that you might find yourself in a situation where the best thing you can do is be a eunuch for the kingdom. Whatever that might be, maybe it's a homosexual temptation, anything like that, you choose to say, you know what, I don't have to fulfill whatever desire I have and maybe a confusion I have or a problem I'm just going to serve Jesus marriage isn't for me you know that kind of thing and you can do that the battle versus you know between sexuality and spirituality yeah and spirituality needs to win spirituality out spirituality needs to I, I think I, I mean it's easier again you know a lot of these things we're talking about it's easier said than done oh, I mean no. it's cut and dry and as clear as it can get but you know it's these are difficult things that Jesus is saying too because then yeah. when you deal with yeah, the people coming into when, my when office, you know, that are dealing with it in a real life situation. Right, when it's it gets, personal, yeah. that's, how do you address that person? I mean, you, you'll take a whole different, I mean, like you said, you know, you take a whole different look on that if it's happening to you personally. But um, if you come at it with but, the elevation of marriage, right. with that foundation, right. the rest of it But works. I think the key, the key lands on that idea of the hardness of heart, the center of our emotions. If our heart is with Jesus, if our heart is with God, if that's where our, if, if that's where our importance lies, if that's where our love is with God, then, then we can truly, you know, separate ourselves from. Whatever situation we yeah. need to separate ourselves I mean, from. Yeah. Like again, I said it's easier said than done. Easier said than done. Uh, and and you had mentioned the term uh, that we take a pharisaical approach sometimes. Mm -hmm. and I think, uh, and you actually chewed me out for, for using the phrase scriptural divorce. And I think by by using that phrase and having that phrase in our um, our repertoire, our dictionary, our, our terminology. Yeah. Uh, what word am I looking? Vocabulary. Yeah. Um, by having that word, uh, we we prime ourselves to have a. a a incorrect view yeah. on what marriage is because mm -hmm. look again at the way that Jesus answered their question on divorce. He yeah. went right to from the beginning it was not so. We're called for something higher. He did grant the exception, but that is not the intent. No. The intent of this whole argument here with the Pharisees is not to talk about the exception. No. It's to get them to value marriage the way God values his relationship with his people. And I think we can close with that thought that if we approach our marriage relationships 
with the way that God reproaches his covenant with his people, with that commitment, with that love, with that long suffering, with that patience, with that I'm going to do whatever I can to make that relationship happen because I know that is the a greater relationship that I can ever be a part of. We'll value marriage the way that we should. God chose two different phrases to kind of relate himself to his people. He's our father and he also calls himself a husband. And so parental responsibilities, marriage responsibilities, if we value marriage, I think we'll approach it with the idea of what God has joined together. Let no man separate. Well, we'll stop there tonight. I appreciate everybody who tuned in. I bet we got a lot of questions. We can talk about them in the Zoom class and feel free to message us too and and give us a call or something and we'll talk about things and um, try to approach it very much in a biblical and loving way. Have a good evening. Thank you.